at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Amen. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to talk about, uh, as we come into the last part of this chapter, there are some things that show up <clears throat> that we can measure ourselves by. They're actually very good for a Christian uh, church to look at and go, am I like that? Um, so I'm going to talk about marks of a healthy church, how the church at Jerusalem grew so well. It was no accident, and it's every word of God is pure, and it's for, written for our admonition for us to learn from. So let's learn at uh, uh, what makes for a healthy church. We're in Acts chapter 2. It's still the day of Pentecost, and a small group of about 120 believers gathered in an upper room there in Jerusalem, and they're starting to stand on their own two feet. They were the first church. A church is an assembly of believers that have been called out of the world and gathered together to show that Jesus works, that he is Lord. They have prayed and they have waited on God to empower them to live differently than they ever lived before. Think about that. They spent 10 days saying, God, we don't want to be the same. We don't want to be as we always been. We want to be like you. And so they prayed and they waited. And on this day, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had supernaturally filled his church with the Holy Spirit of God. And that was just the beginning because that was something that was shocking to a crowd. There was noise going on, and then there were all these different languages being spoken. And a massive crowd gathered outside of that building where that upper room was, and they wanted to see and hear what was going on. And they saw the miracle of tongues. But Peter stood up there and says, this is not just a miracle. This is a sign that the day of the Lord is at hand. Son, this is a great day, he says, but there's another day, a terrifying day, a, a, a dreadful day, a judgment day that is coming called the day of the Lord. And he quoted from the prophet Joel. If you're in Acts chapter 2, look in verse 16. <clears throat> Acts 2, 16, but this... Is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Everything going on was, was prophesied. Verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, see, shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. They shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath. Uh-oh, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, a lot of destruction. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call, upon, call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the day of the Lord was a terrifying day, a serious, a day of serious trouble and of wrath. And no amount of religion or praying, or money, or power could save anyone. Only the Messiah, only the Savior, Jesus Christ could save them. What was interesting was they knew who Jesus was, but they had just murdered him. So it's kind of interesting. In their minds, Peter's saying, you murdered the Messiah. And to them, they're like, then there's nothing. We're, we're doomed. We have no Savior. And then Peter says, uh, <clears throat> he's, um, let me come back here. Jesus got up again, which is even more terrifying because does Jesus hold a grudge? I mean, they murdered him. So they're really scared. 
And that's in Acts 2.37. If you notice, jump down to verse 37. It says, then, now when they had heard this, all of these things, Jesus is coming back. It is his Lord, his day, the day of the Lord. Well, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a good question. That's when Peter uh, um, said, Jesus can save anyone. Jesus is willing to save anyone who would just call on his name. You don't have to do anything. You've done everything wrong. Don't worry about trying to do everything right. Just call upon him. Look in verse 39. We did all this last week for the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are afar are off. That means us. Even as many as, our, as the Lord our God shall call. Now, uh, verse 41, it goes on. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this un." toward generation at that moment 3,000 people responded that's a crowd that uh, out of that massive crowd 3,000 men and women came forward up to Peter and James and John and all of those 120 disciples <clears throat> and that little baby church in Jerusalem got moving now I've titled our study through the book of Acts the church in motion Sometimes we're very comfortable in, in our Christianity. We, we sit at home and watch it on YouTube. And we come to church and we sit at church and we watch the pastor. And we're not moving. And the church is supposed to be in motion. This is our example. And we're going to follow that example this year. So let me pray one more time. I just feel like we need to get very close to the Lord. Father, help us this morning to have your presence here and to speak loud and clear in our hearts. God, we're, we're, we're saved. We know we're saved, God. There are people in this room who are born again, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, but we're not in motion. The world has, has, has um, quenched that, that fire that used to motivate us. and We're not as excited. We're not, <clears throat> we're not active, and we should be. So as we look into these words, God, I pray, as only the word of God and the spirit of God can do, change our hearts. Get our feet in motion. Help us to have beautiful feet again. Help our, our lips to be used, our words to be helpful, gospel words. Help us to turn our world upside down in this generation, Lord. And if there's anybody in this room who's not saved, God, I pray they realize the gospel is open to them. We don't have tomorrow. We have today. And I pray that somebody would get saved today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so why study this chapter? What are we looking for? Well, we're looking for a pattern. We're kind of measuring up and saying, "All right, do a checkup." All right, now doctors aren't very smart. They have usually books that tell you, "All right, you need to expect this many beats per minute of a heart for it to be healthy." We need uh, a person who's healthy has this many breaths a minute that they have this much oxygen in their blood. So the charts say this person is healthy or not. And we have a chart that we can, we can compare to, and it's in the Bible. I don't want to be like you, and hopefully you don't want to be like me, but I want to be like God set the pattern for. I, I've dealt with several Catholic priests who, whenever we would go through the gospel, I would quote from something and say, that's what the church is about. That's how simple the Lord's Supper was. Ah, but that was a primitive church. That was their phrase all the time. And I was stumped by that till one time this past, this priest said, ah, we don't follow the primitive Christianity. And I said, <clears throat> I finally figured out 
where to go with that? And I had an answer. I says, it's not a primitive Christianity you're looking at. You're looking at the pattern of Christianity. <clears throat> That's our pattern. If we ever get away from that pattern, we're no longer Christian. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? So we're going to now do a spiritual checkup in the scriptures. Um, there, were, there are so many unhealthy churches today. There are churches where people, I mean, it, it's amazing they even come. They're depressed, they're down, they're discouraged, they're defeated, they're weak, and they're powerless. They're so quiet that even a church mouse is bored. <clears throat> there are also churches that are exciting, but they are so doctrinally different than, than what the Bible teaches that the spirit that's in those churches is neither holy nor is it right. Now, what I want is for our church to be a strong, healthy, vibrant Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church. So this morning, I, let's learn about this church in Jerusalem a bit. Now, that's not the only church to learn from. God recorded for us the church at Antioch and characteristics of that one, the church at Ephesus, the church in Berea. All of these churches, as, as simple as they were, are our pattern to learn from. These things were written for our learning. Let's take some time and uh, make sure that we become just like them. So we're only going to look at the first four. There's several things we're going to see in here. If you look in Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 41. And these four big ingredients to a healthy church. Start there in verse 41. <clears throat> then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. The first thing you'll notice there is the word glad. Do you notice that? Now this was the group that just sat there and were trembling in their boots. They were afraid we're doomed. If you remember last week, the preaching about the day of the Lord is not a fun subject. It is a terrifying subject. And when, when these men and women stood there by the thousands hearing Peter preach, it struck them to the heart. They knew the prophecies of Joel. They knew that the day of the Lord was a guarantee, just like everybody today. People say, I don't believe in God. But you ask them about judgment day, whether there's a final judgment, say, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for that. We know we're all going to have the books balanced one day. We know that we're going to have to answer to God in our heart of hearts. We know we're in trouble. And those men and women were terrified at the thought of we have no savior. And when Peter preached and told him, yes, you do. He's alive and well, and he wants to save you today. And at that moment, they got glad. They gladly received his word you see from that moment on church was not something they did it was something they enjoyed <clears throat> i grew up in a, in a family that went to church sporadically rarely it was something we did at christmas and at easter anybody else like that it was something we did but the day i got saved it was something i enjoyed as a matter of fact, I told you about 100 times I wanted to move into the church or at least move in with the pastor. I love church. You see, uh, these people gladly received what Peter was preaching. Peter wasn't tickling their ears. He wasn't uh, patting them on the back. He wasn't saying, you're good, boys and girls. Oh, what a wonderful job you're doing. No, he said, you're doomed. You're in trouble. The wrath of God is coming. That brought about revival in, in Nineveh too, didn't it? So sometimes you say, Pastor, you're being harsh. That's just a negative message sometimes. Yep, because it works. 
You can't always just say the nice things, especially from the pulpit. And there, they, that crowd, hearing such strong preaching, were still enjoying it. Amen. And it'll, it's something about being a Christian that says, it's in the book, it's right. They gladly received his word. These 3,000 men and women were transformed in a moment from terrified men and women to excited and thrilled and glad believers. For the first time in their life, they had peace with God. Look, hold your place here and go to Romans, just to the right a little bit. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> you have to remember these out Jews three times a year came to Jerusalem. They made the trek. Sometimes over a thousand miles from far away came to Jerusalem. They brought their offerings. They brought their lambs, the, the bulls, the goats, their, the, the, uh, the, the, all the different offerings sometimes with, with flour and, and different gifts. And they did it trying to find peace with God. And, and the Day of Atonement, all of the, the sin and the record that they had accumulated that year was rolled back for another year, but it was never removed until today. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore, being justified. Justified means brought to zero. Your record was removed. You were pardoned. Being justified by faith, we now have what? We have peace with God, not through our religion, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder these guys were glad. And by the way, according to Galatians chapter 5, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy. Yes, ma'am. Woo, peace, long suffer. Just keep going. It gets gooder and gooder. So joy is a, a byproduct, a result of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you come to church and it's, there's nothing here, I'd wonder, is the Holy Spirit there? Because if somebody's preaching the Bible, if somebody's telling what's true, if somebody loves you enough to be honest with you, you ought to be glad. That's the safest place to be. You don't want to be where everybody says what we all want to hear. That's a politician. So these gladly believed what Peter was preaching. Gladness is an excitement. An anticipation of what is coming next. I asked the kids. Here comes Chloe. Chloe comes in this morning and says, we're going to get a prize today. Because <laughs> they were going to sing and then they get a prize later and stuff like that. That's gladness. It's an excitement, an anticipation of what is coming next. It is satisfaction with current circumstances because it's only going to get better. It is a delight of the mind. So, you know, as we read through the book of Acts, you will notice that these Christians from this day forward enjoyed preaching. They enjoyed strong preaching. Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. <clears throat> and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They couldn't get it enough. Sometimes they would preach through the night so much it says uh, Paul preached until midnight until a guy fell out of the upper loft and broke his neck <laughs> and he had to go over there and raise him from the dead sometimes preaching is so good it just keeps going on and by the way in the rest of the world I know we live in the in, in the in Europe and I know our schedules are so important 
uh, we got to be finished by noon and all this stuff. But in the rest of the world, when somebody's traveled by foot 16 miles to come to church, they don't want to go home until nightfall. They want to stay and get all that they can because they're not going to be with other Christians for another um, seven days. So they enjoyed preaching. They enjoyed each other's company. We call it fellowship. It's like, it like having a family you never knew you had. They enjoyed praying. You say, praying? Yeah, praying. You know why most people don't enjoy praying? They don't know how. They don't know who they're talking to. They don't know that he's really listening. They say, well, I don't get my answers to prayer. Spoiled brat. Don't worry about getting answers to prayer. Worry about getting close to God. Worry about having time with God. The Bible says if you delight yourself in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You see, we worry, well, I desire my delights. And the Lord says, no, 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 desire me, and I'll give you whatever you ask. Because your delighter, your, your, your desirer, the heart, will desire the right things. Praying, soul winning. They loved preaching the gospel to everyone. They loved inviting people out of church. Church was, oh, I'd never invite anybody there. Bring them. I am a product of somebody inviting somebody to church. I would never, somebody tried to give me the gospel one night on Saturday night back there in 1980. And, and this woman tried to break through this thick skull and tell me I was lost. And she got my attention, but I didn't get saved. I couldn't add two and two together. So she said, why don't you come out to church? So I came. And that first week, I sat there all over my head, man. I didn't know which way was up on the Bible. I had no idea what the man was saying. I just knew everybody enjoyed it. <laughs> and I came back the next week. And then I came back the next week. And I came back eight weeks before I finally went, he's talking about me. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. It happened because somebody invited me to church. They enjoyed soul winning. They enjoyed giving. God loves a cheerful giver. That was first century Christianity. How can we think we can do better? We need the same joy they had. Second thing, back there in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> We're still in verse 41. Another ingredient to a vibrant, growing, healthy church is baptisms. Acts 2.41, it says this. Then they that gladly received his word were, they got baptized. The same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 adults stepped forward out of that crowd without hesitation, asked to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's a crazy thing, man. They were now followers of Jesus and were willing to get publicly baptized to show it. And I think it kind of must take an hour to baptize 3,000. There are 120, 120 people there to be able to baptize them. So if they did 25 an hour, I mean, it still takes hours and hours. That's a lot of people. Can you imagine the joy on everybody's face watching all those people wanting to follow the Lord coming out from that devout Judaism to being a, a devout Christian, a Christ follower? Joy. Baptism means immerse, like a biscuit in a cup of tea, okay? Nobody takes their tea, dips their fingers in the tea, and then sprinkles it on their biscuit. That's stupid. And yet, why do we think that a baby can be sprinkled, that a person can be poured upon, and it be baptism? It's not baptism. Baptism means dunk. 
you put it in and you put it as far as you can. You got to put it in quick and out so it doesn't disintegrate in your hand. But you put it in and you immerse it. That is what baptism means. Always has meant to immerse. Baptism never washes away sin, though. <clears throat> it's not part of you getting saved or converted, but it is an evident proof that you are saved. Water can never wash away anything in the heart. Yeah, I can clean the fingernails. <laughs> Need a little brush for that. But it can never clean the heart. Go to First um, John. Go to the right. Still holding your place in Acts chapter 2. First John chapter 1. It always bothers me when people come along and say, well, I find the Bible that people got baptized. They got believing. They were baptized. That's right. It's always in that order. Because you believe, and then the next thing you do is get baptized, and the next thing you do after that is you join the church. But joining a church doesn't make you a Christian. It just proves that you are. Giving doesn't prove that you're a Christian. I'm sorry, it doesn't make you a Christian, but it proves that you are one because you, your heart has been changed from a stingy taker to where now you're a giver. So here in, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, I'll tell you what does wash away the sin of our heart. What is it? What do you think it is? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Good. But if we walk in the light, John, 1 John 1, 7, as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? I love it. From all sin. You say, well, how, doesn't baptism help wash away? No, no, the blood washes it all away. I'm just getting baptized to tell our body I'm following him. So baptism is only for people who have already repented and believed the gospel. That's why babies can't be baptized. They don't believe, all right? Babies, you never find one verse of scripture, one page of scripture where a baby got baptized. You know why? Because they can't believe. Now, they're little stinkers. They're some of the most selfish creatures ever. Hate me! <laughs> but that, they, they're, they're not ready. Baptism is only for people who have already repented and believed the gospel. It is the outward show of your decision to follow Jesus. And it is a picture of the gospel using water. Go to Romans chapter 6. Again, back to the right, just a few pages. To the next book, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. <clears throat> Romans 6 and verse 3. Just two verses here, 3 and 4. <clears throat> know you not that so many of us as were baptized not into water, but into who? Into Jesus. That's when we got born again, folks. As many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We got we got put on the cross with him. Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism, our spiritual baptism, into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in a new life, in the newness of life. Water doesn't do that to you. Jesus does. And the confusion of that has damned so many people. It grieves me, folks. It's only a picture. So what you've got is you've got a person standing up, and what are they picturing they're picturing they're standing up and it's embarrassing i have to say something yes you have to be able to say you once were lost but now you're found 
I used to be a wicked, dirty, rotten, low-down sinner, and I now am following Jesus. And at that moment, you picture death by going under the water. It's a burial. I mean, you bury dead people, don't you? Supposed not supposed to keep them around. They're buried and then resurrected. You pull them back out of the water. That all is showing what Jesus did for you, isn't it? You're picturing the gospel. That's what you believed to save you. And that is you now saying, my old life is gone. Just like when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he lives forevermore. Now I live forevermore for him. So baptism is a very unique thing that only Christians do. It's not, a, it's not the thing that saves you. It's something that tells the world, I'm saved. And why did they do it? You say, why did these, these new believers do it? Well, Peter told them to. Peter told them to repent and then get baptized. And you know what they all said? We'll do it. Wouldn't it be great if the Bible said it, we just did it? Wouldn't that be awesome? So um, go back here. Um, Jesus said, be baptized after you decide to follow him. And it's the test of a person's commitment. Somebody says, yeah, yeah, I believe in the Lord. Hey, okay, you're ready to tell others that you're saved? Well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Say, okay. <laughs> Are you sure you're saved? Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, the Bible says. Why would you be ashamed of somebody who just reached down into your filthy soul and washed it clean? So these people were glad. And I have to say that there are so many false baptisms. Baby baptisms are false baptisms. They don't count. I, I guarantee you most everyone in this room was baptized as a baby. I even was baptized as a baby. Guess what? It didn't do any good. It didn't wash away any original sin. <laughs> it's a fake baptism. Sprinkling, dipping, pouring water on someone is not a baptism. It has to be total immersion. You say, why are you so particular? Because the Bible's particular. It doesn't say baptize any way you want. No, it says baptize in water, underwater, and back out of the water. If someone believes that when they got baptized, that is part of how they got saved, they have not been baptized. They've been confused. They need to get born again and then get baptized after they're saved. Does he understand? If, I've heard of people who have do-it-yourself baptism. They say, okay, I'll just go into the tub and I'll baptize myself three times. <laughs> it's not baptism it's got to be public as best as possible it ought to be public and it ought to be by the church not by yourself let's do it yourself why don't we start doing things God's way so I have to ask you this morning are you scripturally baptized have you been born again good have you been baptized the right way well I was baptized years ago yeah but when did you get saved oh about two years ago I said okay now you get to get now you need to get really baptized that's the Bible way let's see um, where's my next point 52 I have a whole page missing I'm all of a sudden getting scared ah not there well I will take what I've got. Let's see what happens here. Chapter 2 and verse 41 back there. One more time. 
Ta-da. How do you like that? Thank you, Lord. Uh, come in. Okay, 241. That was, I have some good stuff I want to share with you. 241. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them. How many? All right, who, how many started, how many did they start off with? About 120, okay. So another ingredient to a growing church is a commitment to the local church. Church is not a crowd on Sunday mornings. Anybody can gather a crowd. I mean, a sports match gathers a crowd, doesn't it? A rock concert can attract quite a few people. A car boot sale can attract a lot of people, right? And just because a lot of people are sitting in a, ta- in a, in a building on a Sunday doesn't mean that they're a church. And it certainly doesn't mean that they're a healthy church. So a, ch- a true church is what we are 24-7. Whether, whether you know it or not, you are the church. And you're supposed to be that seven days a week, 24 hours a day. This is, this is not the only time the church exists, folks. We are born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are forever, not just on Sundays. We're full-time Christ followers. We've been called to come out of the world on a Sunday or whenever we get together and gather together, but we've been called out ever since we were saved. These 3,000 men and women, after they got baptized, they joined together with those 120 disciples as one body of believers. Can you imagine all those guys, all those ladies and, and men are dripping wet, and they says, all right, we want to be with you. That must have, what a great day that was, amen? All in one day, they have just gone full cycle, and here they are saying, we're, 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 what do we do next? Where are we meeting next? Who's preaching next? They joined the church. They became committed to that assembly. <clears throat> a lot of them <clears throat> were going to go back home. A lot of them were going to go back to Parthian. Uh, they were uh, to Parthia or to Egypt or to Arabia, but they were going to join that church, church, even if it was for a little while. They joined themselves to those 120. Somebody may say, you know, Pastor, I'm only going to be here for six months. Say, join the church. What? Yeah. Everywhere you go, you ought to be committed to the church that Christ puts you in. Amen. Look down in, uh, let's see, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. Lord put them in there. Daily, such as should be saved. So, um. You know, when, a, when, a, when somebody who's in a sports team, when he joins that team, you know what he's doing? He's committing himself to that team, isn't he? When the team is, is gathered and is training, guess where that player is? He's with the team, isn't he? When that team is playing a match, guess where that player is? He's with his team playing. You say, well, I want to watch this show on... <clears throat> He's got to put it on record or he's got to do something else and ignore that and be with his team. How come we don't take it as serious as Christians? Do you know we have training times here as a church? It's called discipleship. It's called preaching. It's called men made right meetings. That's training time. And and God's people need to say, I'm committed to this church. 
You know, there's a spiritual battle going on, and there is no way we can win, folks. We already won, but our battles are so flawed and so weak because we're not committed to our team, to our, to our, our church. It's time to join a church. It's time to join this church. Say, what is church membership? It's when you know you're where Jesus wants you, even for just a little while. Membership is a commitment to other Christians in your area that they're important to you now. Basically, when you join a church, you're telling people that you love that place and those people. It is a public testament statement that you want to be all that Christ saved you to be and live up to the expectations that Christ has, not just for the individual, but for the church. You know, there is some expectations that God has of us as a church. And it means that you step out of the shadows, you step off the chairs, and into action. Question is, are you a member of this church? If you have been born again and are scripturally baptized and are willing to live right, you see, when you're a member of the church, you're actually saying, you know what? I know I used to get it, used to do all these things and I kind of was comfortable with it, but I know they're wrong. And I want to be a member of the church. I need to put that away and I want to be a member of the church. I want I want those people to know I love them and that I'm committed to them like they are to me. <clears> Today's <throat> a good day to join with the rest of the people that are members of this church. If you're curious about membership, there is a leaflet on that table there on how to become a member of the church. It's not a big deal, how process or how to do it, but it is a commitment. And a church has to have committed people. And that's what made that church grow. Do you always want to just be sitting there watching from the, from the stands, or do you want to be in action like that first century church? The last thing in verse 42, we're only doing two verses this morning, but verse 42 goes on and says, and they continued steadfastly. In four things, in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayer. There were four fundamental activities that kept that church going and growing. They were unmoving from apostles' doctrine. They committed to the Bible. Remember, they're listening to the apostles say what Jesus had said. They were hearing the New Testament preached before the New Testament was written. And whatever Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, all of them, whatever they said, they said, I'm holding to that. If that's what Jesus taught, I'm never going to move away from that. That's steadfastness. Now, we're 2,000 years down the line. What should we be? Steadfast to the same things. We are committed to the apostles' doctrine. I want to be a Bible-believing church till the day I die. I don't want to find some new article, some new um, uh, internet site. I don't want to find some new YouTube that comes along and says, here's some better stuff to do. There is nothing better to do than what has already been laid out in the scripture. If I just did what the scripture says, the world would turn upside down. I don't need some fancy new guru to tell me what to do. I've got Moses, and David, and Peter, and Jesus. Those are my influencers. I was reading about the top 100 influencers in the world. Did you know there are two kids six years old that have over 100 million followers? Six years old. And they call them influencers. That's not influencers. That's sad. That's child abuse. Those children are going to grow up thinking the world loves them. 
My influencers are much more stable, amen? <laughs> they were committed to the apostles' doctrine. So many are abandoning clear scriptures. And there are churches right now, they've been doing it for the last 30 years, where they're abandoning the Bible and they're promoting LGBTQRST things. They're putting rainbows on the outside of their church. They're saying we love everybody. That is an abomination in this Ichabod. They didn't hold to the apostles' doctrine, did they? There are churches that actually promote the right to abortion. There are churches like that. They are not holding to the apostles' doctrine, are they? You say, well, you're old-fashioned. Well, you're out of step. Well, you're not relevant. I really don't care. I didn't get saved because it was relevant to the rest of the world. I got saved because I knew I was lost on my way to hell, and that was relevant. That was enough. I don't have to have all of the fancy promotions. I just need Jesus Christ, and I want to know him, and I want to know him through the Bible. What you hold in your hands is what those, those believers sat there, 3,000 of them. They sat there every day and say, tell us more. Tell us more. It meant everything to them. You go from church to church, and every church is progressing in their music. They've gotten rid of the Bible, the King James Bible. They put little snippets of Scripture up, and then they follow it with what this person says and what that person says and what this book says. I've got all the books I need in one book called the Bible. Churches are changing all across the world. The first century church was steadfast, weren't they? I want to be too. Let's stay that way. Let's commit to whatever the book says, chapter and verse. Then they were committed to fellowship. Did you notice that? Verse 42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, I love fellowship. Fellowship simply means closeness to one another. <clears throat> and these Christians stayed close to each other. They loved each other in the same amount that Christ loved them. That's a lot of love. <laughs> Go to John 15, 12. John 15, 12. Just a few pages back. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment. I mean, it'd be nice if it just stopped right there and said that you love one another. It doesn't stop there, does it? I mean, it gets hard after that. See, I can think I love you like I should, but then Jesus says, no, no, let me make sure you would do this right, that you love one another in the same way as I have loved you. Wow. This was a church that was not constantly offended, constantly standoffish, constantly at each other. No, this was a church that fellowshiped with each other, that loved one another. You know, we live in the world, and we work in the world just as they did, but their companionship, their closeness was no longer with the world. They no longer spent all their time on their phones or their friends or with their families. They spent their time with each other as well. You know what they called each other? Brother, sister. That's cool. They called each other family. Their best friends were each other. Their family was now bigger than ever. Let's be steadfast in our commitment to each other like family. Fellowship. I love fellowship when we get together and we do things. Every time that we have something going on, we should have to turn people away. 
Now we won't. We'll always make room, amen? But we shouldn't have to go around saying, oh, come on, won't you come? Oh, come on, won't you? Oh, I know she said that bad about you. I know, I know, but ignore her for a minute. Come on anyway. That's not how it should be. It ought to be. We got to be together. Third thing. This is the breaking of bread. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll go there, I have received the Lord that also which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. He was making a picture. It wasn't his real body. It was still his real body, all right? It was just a picture of him breaking, losing his life, being crucified for us. That's what the Lord's Supper is, a simple time together as a church, remembering and memorializing what it took for us to be saved, his life for ours. So there are two things that are part of the breaking of bread. Notice it says the breaking of bread, not the mass, not the Eucharist, not anything fancy like that, just the breaking of bread. It's a family term where you invite over and say, hey, would you like to break bread with me? Now, that wasn't talking about, at that point, the Lord's Supper. It was just, have a meal with me. But this meal was something very somber, serious, only two things, plain bread and plain wine. You say, what's plain bread? Plain bread means no leaven, no yeast. It's flat bread, not very fancy, not much taste, but it's pure, just like the body, the flesh, and the life of Jesus Christ. And just plain wine. Oh, there, bring out the wine. No, no, no. That wine was pure grape juice. No leaven, no yeast, no alcohol, because it pictures the blood of Jesus Christ. They took an innocent lamb, and the blood of that lamb was captured as they killed it, and it would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. It was the blood of an innocent lamb. It was not mixed with anything to make it prettier or nicer or anything. It was just the blood, of, and the wine pictures the blood of Jesus Christ. That's all. And they remember it as the breaking of bread. That's why about every two months we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and it is probably one of the most important times for every Christian to be together because we're remembering why we're even here. It's because he, he saved us. And then the last thing, prayer. It's probably the hardest thing to get people excited about. I've got a burden. We, we can't do it. I didn't know when to figure it, but I'm, I'm going to ask everybody if we could meet together for a week of prayer. Not sure when we're going to do it, but it'll be soon enough. Just with all the things, we don't have enough time to fit it in. But when I ask, I wonder if we'll just have the same people who always come for prayer. They'll be the only ones here. That would be a shame. That would be a shame. When it's a time for prayer, how many of us should be here? If we can be here, we all should be here. You know, the devil knows the power of a praying people. And the shame is that most Christians do not know how powerful prayer is. So these Christians made prayer as important as times of preaching and fellowship. They loved spending time in prayer. Why? Because it's time of worship. It's time with Jesus. It's when you come to prayer, you don't come for anybody else. It's because you want to pray. To be a healthy church, we need Everyone who can be here to be here when we pray. Do you know we have special times that we do pray? Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, 
following the preaching for 30 minutes. And on Saturday evenings, you say, oh, I can't make it Wednesday. Saturday evening, 6.30, right here. We clean up for about 30 minutes, and then we pray for about 30 minutes. Make praying together as a church normal. Have you noticed the progression? All the things that I've said, there's a very important thing we're going to go with in this. The book of Acts is our pattern to follow. These are important ingredients to being a healthy church. You'll say, well, I want an exciting church. Believe me, if we did these things, we'd have the most exciting church ever without a dance and without drums. Amen. Every person. Do you know what would make this a great church? Is if everybody who met here was really saved. I mean, saved, saved. There is, there is no church unless they're believers. It's just a crowd. We need to make sure. You need to examine yourself and say, am I in the faith? Do I know that I know that I know that Jesus is my Savior? That makes a great church if everybody that comes knows they're saved. Amen. They that gladly received his word, they accepted what Peter said, and they trusted Jesus Christ. It changed their life. That was the first thing that makes a great church. Secondly, they had to spiritually baptized. There, were, there was nobody that held back. There was nobody that says, oh, I don't know yet. I don't know my, just go with it. Jesus said it and you do it. And then they joined the church. Don't just sit in it. Don't just watch it. Be it. Amen. And then they became steadfast and consistent in four big areas. In learning Bible doctrine and saying, thus saith the Lord, this is the truth. Thy word is truth. I'm sticking with the Bible. I know Fauci says one thing and, and Putin says another thing and everybody's worried about what all these other guys are saying. Let me tell you this. I go by what saith the Lord. My heart's at rest. I'm not worried about anything going on in the world because I trust God. Amen? I'm not a fool. I don't sit there, walk out in front of a, a highway because I'm not just got my eyes closed. But I don't worry about what everybody else is saying. When I've got what God says, I learn what is right to worry about. And there's a closeness. Let's stay together, folks. Let's just say, you know what? I want to make this church my church, and I want to just love them like family. And let's take the Lord's Supper regularly and seriously. We already do, but I wonder how many people don't, don't know how many times they've missed such a service because they were too busy on that Sunday. And let's pray together. <clears throat> because there's probably some things lacking in your life. Have you believed Jesus Christ died for you? Or maybe you have religion, but you don't have a Savior. Are you ready to get saved today? Talk to me after the service. You say, you always say that. You always push for people to get saved. I don't know if I'm saved. Good. I'll talk to you till the cows come home. I will make sure that you understand because it's the most important thing you could ever do is to trust Jesus Christ. Not in your head only, but in your heart. Folks, are you, were you baptized as a baby, but there was no difference? That's, that's not real baptism, folks. If you've been saved, it's time to get baptized. Are you a member of this church? Are you a member by your own choice? Or are you just a spectator? And are you committed to following Jesus Christ? Are you committed to prayer? Are you committed to, to the Bible? Father, Lord, as we look at these things, kind of like going to the doctor's office, getting our height taken, our weight, checking our heart, checking in the ears, in the mouth, <clears throat> all that checkup is sometimes, it's no fun. 
really it's good for us. It really helps us because we need to know. We can't, we can't just go through life and ignore the coldness that's in our heart. In the, Lord, the, the hesitancy that we have, the coolness to the gospel and to preaching and to soul winning and to everything about Christianity. We, just because we're saved, ought to be the most glad people ever. So put the joy back in our hearts, Lord. Help us to enjoy the things that, that, that matter, Lord. We're, we're a spiritual entity. This, this church is not the building and the bricks. It's the people who have been saved and have purpose in their life that is eternal. So, Lord, um, if there's somebody who's not saved, I pray they come talk to me. Somebody needs to get baptized. Lord, we're going to baptize in a few weeks. I pray they talk to me. If they're not a member of this church, if they want to become a member, let's, let's get the process going. Would just everybody look around and say, I love these people. These are my people. And thank God they love me. Pray that we would just stay steadfast in our commitment to the fellowship that we have here, especially to prayer. Lord, these are things we need to do and not just believe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you stand with me?